Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Yeah, Tuttle's trying to get this thing going, and I've got dog pound going it's underneath okay. me. I'm, yeah. My dog is going to bark as soon as we get going. Now we switch spots. We're we're situated. How's the bleachers going? But what's up, uh, Tuttle? How we doing, dude? I know that you said that you got a sore throat. We'll get this podcast going in our informalist kind of way that we do here in, in the our in the bleachers. Even the words are informal. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been, we've been known to make up some words on this podcast. It yeah. always gets kind yeah. of interesting, but uh, yes. You know, this is as much for the the fan as it is for Tuttle and I to to kind of get things off our skull and actually take a moment out of our hectic days and lives to go ahead and just have a chat and talk talk about some of the sports events that are going on. I know that uh, you know we're not always a hundred percent, whether it be tired from a flight, getting in at six in the morning, or whether it be being hung over from uh, the misadventures of the night before, or if it's just getting our kids back to school and being sick. I know that Tuttle, you sound the same to me, but I know that you're maybe fighting through a little bit right now. I don't know how much you want to let the fans know, but uh, here in the bleachers, we pretty much unload everything on our fans. But uh, how you doing? That's right. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I uh, Yeah, I unloaded on you. You could probably hear. Maybe you can't hear. I sound the same. I'm sitting upright. I'm good. I uh, There's some, my wife said, you should test for COVID. I'm like, what, what for? Like, what does that do? Like, if I this find out. This is a great question. All right. All right. So this is the topic du jour. But and <laughs> she just was saying it. And I don't know if it meant, I mean, obviously my job, I have to go into contact with people, uh, unlike the podcast where we Zoom everything. And uh, But it's so weird. So I took a test. I have a bunch of tests that my company gave me and that are just sitting around the house. And yesterday I felt terrible. I have this swollen gland in my throat. I really just have a sore throat. It's the only symptom I have. And so I took the test and I was negative and now I feel better, which is weird. Like I feel symptomatically the same, but seeing this like screen. Yeah. It's like, Hey, you're negative for COVID. All right. I feel really good now. I have energy. So I feel like I have a limited amount of energy today. Um, it is odd. As you said, it's the latter. So I'm not hungover, and, um, I didn't have a late flight, but, uh, the kids are now back to school and, uh, yeah, caught something viral or whatever (laughs) I did. My daughter's had a birthday. So I did take them to a water park, and I could have easily picked up something at this uh, water park <laughs> festivity with like <laughs> nine million people. <laughs> you're like, all right, I'm just sitting this is around as long here. as nobody drops a baby Ruth in the pool, you're good. That's right, exactly. I'm just lounging in this pool. Yeah, I'm sure there are no germs <laughs> there. So anyway, no, I'm feeling good. Obviously, good enough to be on the podcast. How are you? How uh, you had a day off yesterday? You must have had a late flight the day before. Dude. So we're all we're Don't. all. S- We're always scuffling to some extent, but not scuffling to get on the podcast. No, we kind of made an adjustment on uh, the timing of the podcast, and it actually worked out extremely well this time because yesterday was a day off. Uh, Believe it or not, a day off. The Astros just played 32 games in 32 days, and uh, we had a a day off Saturday for the national game, and then we flew in uh, Sunday evening. Got in about nine nine thirty, and then uh, had the all day off on Monday. It was phenomenal just to be able to chill out, do nothing. Although I'm lying, I actually had something I had to do for the Astros, but uh, that only took up an hour of my day instead of four, five, six, seven hours of my day. So I'm good. I'm recharged. Um, you know, last week 
was was cool and interesting in so many different ways. But uh, I I got to drop off my oldest daughter at school, and uh, we drove up to Arkansas and got to do that. And now it's been um, it's been kind of crazy. This is the first road trip I've come home to not my typical full house. And I think that's when the reality kind of set in for me that there's somebody missing in the house and it's my oldest daughter. But uh, it's kind of cool now to to see the dynamic without her and understand that, you know, FaceTime is more important, texting is more important, and uh, everything that she's going through at school is kind of fun to think about. But uh, it's kind of an odd time in this household. We're kind of like, you kind of, it's kind of funny because we'll stand around the island of the house. You know, we we have that, you know, the open concept, but everybody yeah. congregates in the kitchen for whatever reason. Well, we know it's because of food and drink, but, <laughs> you know, we're, we're standing there and you just kind of get the sense you're just kind of looking around at each other going, this is cool, but at the same time, you're going, it definitely feels like something's missing, dude. It is crazy, and it's just amazing because it co- like yesterday coincided with the first day of my daughter going to college and my uh, couple of my nephews starting kindergarten at yeah. the same time. And I mean, just the, the, the complex idea of time <laughs> is just blowing me away right now. Yeah. Well, you know what? The family stuff is important. I, I'm starting to feel already like um, my son, who is a senior in high school, and now you have three seniors in high school. Yeah, the countdown's kind of on, a, boy. I know, but but what I'm but I'm what I'm thinking is, you know, obviously Mia left, but you probably had a lot of time standing around the uh, island even before they left for college, kind of going, "All right, there's two of you here. The other two are where? Okay, one of them's at volleyball practice. One's here. So, <laughs> yeah. and maybe, maybe I think what you're describing is the the permanency or the difference now is, mm-hmm. you know, that attendance that's always going on at a parent's head. Like, all right, where is everybody? All right, one, two, three, <laughs> that's four. A good point. You've been doing that your whole life, and now you realize, you know, the attendance. Uh, the role, the role sheet is a little shorter. Let's put it that way. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's something I'm looking forward to, but also a little bit scared of. And I think it's probably different with daughters. But, uh, you know, it's going to be different to have uh, a quieter house and certainly less um, less schedules to coordinate. So uh, I'm glad that you shared that. And it's really interesting to see, uh, to kind of, you're, you're letting us in on, you know, what I'll be going through next year. And then, boy, I mean, you're, you're, your uh, nephews that are just starting kindergarten, you got a long way to long way to go for those guys. So. Yeah, and you think about that, and you're going, "Damn, I'd do anything to go back to that time and and, and go through the stress of just you letting them go to kindergarten for a day and not seeing them for six hours, as opposed to not seeing them for three months." It, yeah. It's kind of wild to think about, but. Uh, What's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold. I've got one topic that I want to talk about, and I get a lot of questions about this during our broadcast when the Astros are playing, obviously, because it uh, pertains to Alex Bregman. And yes, it will go back to the 2017 issue. It'll go back to the 2020 you know, Manfred report. And then there's something currently happening every time, not every time, but a couple of times that Alex Bregman has been on second base where a pitcher has balked him to third base. And I'm going to run that by Tuttle because I'm very curious as a pitcher. I have some thoughts on that, which uh, I've expressed a little, a teeny little bit on our broadcast. But, uh, you know, being that if this is the Bleacher Blums podcast, Tuttle and I get to speak our mind a little bit. So uh, I'm going to have an opinion on that. I also have something later in the podcast. Hopefully, we'll have time for it by the end of it. I've got a question. This is something that popped up also because it, it has only happened – 
since I've moved to Texas where I've really started to recognize what this phenomenon is, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shock Tuttle with it. I'm going to see if he's got any Insta thoughts on it, but uh, I know you've got some other things that are on tap too coming out of your skull that you've had enough time because you had enough time yesterday laying around, you know, vegetating to think about some topics for our uh, St. Arnold what's on tap, dude. So as miserable as I felt, there is some satisfaction to be able to binge something. So yesterday I mentioned before we started the podcast, I binged the terminal list, which is uh, fantastic. And I read the book, but I'm just saying I've watched about nine episodes and it was great. So as miserable as I was feeling, I feel also somewhat accomplished because I got a whole TV show and a whole season of a TV show out of the way. Um, What's on tap? What's on tap for me? Um, I had to, I want to ask you some questions as well around the umpires and the strike zone. We've talked a little bit before about the K zone on TV, but it seems like the last three or four broadcasts I've tuned into, I've been doing like every other day and you can usually tell because I'll send you a text like yep. three days of silence <laughs> and then oop, I turn on the TV in the seventh Tell's inning watching. and then boom, Tuttle's watching all of a sudden. The other weird thing about that is I turned on the... Uh, White Sox game, the first game in the eighth inning, you know, we talk about Mm -hmm. jinxes and everything, and it was going along really well. And then I turned on the next day, I turned it on in the ninth inning, and I'm like, you know what? I should probably stop watching these games. Blummer's going to be frustrated. (laughs) He's not going to want to talk to me. I mean, it was obviously 2 nothing, and then I think, jinxes are 2 to 1. Well, it wasn't even a jinx. It just good things were not happening when I turned on the games. But I wanted to talk to you about the strike zone and what my thoughts are as well around the umpire's sight line. Um, and then since the Giants are, you know, kind of hit or miss, I still enjoy watching them. But the Padres made the uh, biggest splash and the biggest noise at the trade deadline. And I wanted to kind of go over, you know, Hader, Drury, and Soto, the big guys that they got. Obviously, that Tati story we talked about last time. But get your thoughts on that and how they're doing. And then we can wrap it up with other stuff. So remember, Bleacher Blum's podcast here. You can get at us at Blummer27 on both Instagram and Twitter, myself at Real David Tuttle on Instagram and Twitter. And then, of course, BleacherBlums.com. You get some swag. You can uh, get the podcast down there, um, the latest recording of that. And on YouTube, we have Bleacher Blums Short Hops, where uh, it's not always just Blum and I on there. There's some other entertaining things, some TikTok snippets and things like that that uh, our wonderful producer, Mark Ramos, puts out there uh the also the owner of ram shirts where if you need any sort of shirt swag anything like that for your company and or from this podcast then you can go to uh ram shirts or crushcitytees.com um blummer all right so that's what's on tap do you want to start off with your topic and then we'll get rolling yeah let's uh let's talk about it so we don't, I don't think we need to peel that scab off too bad. Going back to 2017, if you're an Astro fan listening to this podcast, you obviously know what I'm talking about. And if you're a fan of baseball, you know what I'm talking about. It had to do with sign stealing, which still goes on in baseball if if they're not using the PitchCom device. Uh, Max Scherzer, as recent as his last, what, three or four starts, has made comments saying, I, I understand Pitchcom. I tried to use it, but he's still old school and understands that sign stealing is a part of the game. Obviously, there's a limit to it and the extent to, to which you can try and find the sign and relay the sign. That was the big issue. But uh, there's still techniques out there where you can go out and try and and use what the pitcher is doing or use what the catcher is doing to figure out or try and decipher what pitch is coming. Because you and I both know that 
throwing 95 plus miles an hour. Everybody is max effort now, uh, or at least a majority. There'll be a handful of guys that uh, live at 89 to 91, but a majority of guys living at 95 plus uh, max effort as far as velocity, as far as spin, and it's, it's an advantage to be able to try and anticipate what you're going to see as far as the pitch. It doesn't guarantee a base hit. It doesn't guarantee you're not going to strike out. It doesn't guarantee that I'm not going to chase a pitch nine feet off the plate because I actually was guessing right, got the pitch, and still chased it. But the fact of the matter is there are still efforts being made by hitters to try and figure out what pitch is coming. Now, when I say the pitcher can give indications of what he's throwing. It could be out of the windup, a uh, specific way he goes into the glove to find the pitch that he wants to throw after getting it from the pitch comm device. Uh, it could be in the set position, the way he comes set, can give an indication of what pitch he's grabbing for in his glove after getting it from the pitch comm device. And then guess what? If you're in the dugout or if you're at second base, you can watch where the catcher sets up and guess by location what pitch might be coming, but at least you can eliminate where the location of the pitch is supposed to be. doesn't always hit their spot, but you can at least kind of give an educated guess on what pitch is coming by location. All that being said, and knowing that every single hitter in the major leagues, including pitchers, will try and pick the pitch of the opposing pitcher. That being said, there has been two instances where Alex Bregman has been on second base and has been intentionally balked to third base. I could not believe that they moved a runner 90 feet to get him into scoring position because we know there's a myriad of ways to score from third base. It could be a bounce pitch, uh, pass, you know, pass ball, wild pitch. It could be a, a number of things. But the fact that they move that guy 90 feet closer because they're worried about giving the pitch location or giving a sign to the hitter blew my mind. You are quitting, you're giving up, and you're an embarrassment if you don't believe in yourself to be able to get that hitter out and having to balk, intentionally balk a guy to third base. It blows my mind. I don't know if you've seen that, Tuttle. I don't know if that explanation was good enough, but do you understand what I'm saying and how crazy that sounds? Um, I do, and I did see it, and I it, it doesn't make sense to me. Now, the comparable thing that po pops into mind is, you know, when Buck Showalter walked Barry Bonds with the bases loaded, that kind of thing, right? Barry Bonds is yep. slugging, you know, Or Tony LaRusso walking a guy with one, two counts twice this well, season. <laughs> yeah, that that's... That's well, your favorite. That's, yeah, well, but that's Tony LaRusso, so we can't, we yeah. got to take that. That's an aberration. That's out of the... Uh, <laughs> I mean, at least Buck was looking at statistics and knowing about... So, yeah. but here's your point, right? You're a big league pitcher, um, hopefully you believe you can get most guys out and do the job that you're, you know, paid to do, paid a lot of money to do, and that's your skill. I mean, I've said this before, this isn't always about the money. This is about the, um, competition and the ego and the competition. And these guys got to where they are because they're the best at what they do for the most part. Right. I mean, better than, you know, tip of the spear, we should say. So I would agree with you. I think, the, this is a little different, and then, you know, walking Barry Bonds is an ability thing, right? You know he can hit, yeah. you know he can walk, he has a great eye. This has nothing to do with the ability except your ability to be a little more strategic and like a chess match, right? Like yeah. to mentally, let's see, Alex Bregman, 
I w- I'd like to see his uh, Mensa score, right? Like, let's look at how he is on the, like, is he a fantastic <laughs> a chess player? It's like Kasparov, you know, the Russian chess player. Like, is, yeah. is Alex Bregman as smart as Kasparov or is he, you know, just another baseball player? Yeah, we're going to call it the Breggy Gambit. Yeah, the Breggy Gambit. I like it. There you go. I just, I, I actually agree with you and that doesn't make sense to me. Now, maybe doing it once, you know, this pitcher does go into his glove, you know, because I used to work on this stuff all the time. And I told you as pitchers, as teammates, we used to look at other guys and try and see where their hand position was Thank in the you. stretch. That was an obvious one. Um, you know, where their foot was, how they went into the glove. I Over the years, I even changed. I would always go in fastball grip and then adjust. And then people would say, well, then your glove would flare, right? Or you would do something. This is great. Right. Yep. But I'm just saying, they, that's what, those are the kind of things that guys are looking for. So to your point, just to make this simple for the fans, what Bregman is doing is looking for anything like that and then trying to relay it to the hitter according to, obviously, the opponents. Maybe even the team knows it. But the <laughs> but they're throwing in the towel, which is your point. Meaning, yeah. like, yeah, we can't outthink Alex it. Bregman while he's on the second. Yeah. 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 So So why not just adjust what you're doing and maybe they know I, it'd be curious I mean was it the same pitcher both times or same team no. no different teams yeah so they must know that he's got an eagle eye for picking up uh, tendencies and pitches but like you said for me I would just I would use that to my advantage I think we, we've talked about this with quarterbacks I hate to jump sports go ahead go ahead hey, good. no it's good timing no yeah. keep going I think I'm pointing it I'm just saying right. so you look at film in the you can NFL use it and against if, him if every time you look to the left then you do something then the next time you look to the left get everybody to go to that and then go to the right like I mean it's like this exactly. is a strategic thing that you could use to your advantage unbelievable so I yes so ultimately to answer your question it doesn't make sense to balk a guy to third base when there's so many I mean you could do the statistics and we've talked about this I'll bring up the NBA as well the twos versus the threes. They've now done the math where it's like, look, we're just going to shoot threes all day long because it works out better if we shoot 40% than it is if we shoot 60% from two. So mm-hmm. there, this is the same thing. Like how many ways can a guy score from third versus how many ways can a guy score from yes. second? And why would you want to yes. give the team with the best record in Major League Baseball any sort of advantage or any sort of run? So, so on on its surface, and then as you look into it, it doesn't make any sense. Were they? Did they ask the manager about it after the game or anybody? Not that I know of, but I know that the fact that they're doing it is because of what you talked about. He's he's in their heads. He's anticipating their move, but I think you, you articulated head. it beautifully by saying, how come you can't use that to your advantage? Why can't you use his knowledge against him? Like you said, if I set up outside, then he's telling the hitter that he's setting up outside and 75% of the time, it usually means a breaking ball. But how about in my pitch com, I go, hey man, uh, fastball. And you have a conversation before the inning and say, hey, if that guy's out at second base, I'm going to tell you fastball. I'm going to set up here, throw it to the other side of the plate. Wouldn't that be an option? I mean, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I, I I mean, this is high level stuff, obviously. I mean, I I get frustrated with myself when I was playing double A, triple A baseball with not being cerebral enough, meaning not thinking about things in a long term statistical, like productive way. Meaning I was like max effort. Like I said, I was a sinker ball pitcher. 
sinker slider and uh, you know years and years and years into the game you know Maddox would talk about taking stuff off the pitch or you saw Trevor Hoffman who threw pretty well but his changeup yeah. was the kind of the the wipeout pitch for him why not develop another pitch I was always really frustrated with myself but if I knew that a guy was really good at picking signs or if I knew that a guy had my signs I could use that to my advantage like hey he thinks I'm going to do this this and this and uh, I will use it to my advantage. And I would think that that would be something, to your point, with all the analytics you know, <laughs> that we've talked about here, analytics yeah. versus eyeball test, with all the analytics, you should be able to use that to your advantage, especially knowing that they're moving him from second to third because they know he's good at picking up signs. So, you know, I don't... Anyway, yeah. And now I'm flabbergasted because I've talked myself into a corner <laughs> where it's like... If you know that he's that good at it, then let's use it to our advantage. Like, let's let him relay a sign that's not the actual sign. No, I completely I mean, agree. That that make, makes perfect sense. Who was the manager? Yeah. Was this against the White Sox again? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was earlier Braves. in that. It, it was. It was not the Braves. Oddly okay. enough, it was Tony Larusa. But it was. Oh, it was well. crazy because. It happened right. in the homestand. That changes everything I just said. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I mean, this will be two podcasts in a row. I just crushed it had Tony, to be LaRusso. Tony LaRusso. Yeah. Okay. Idiot. No, but li- listen. This was a scenario. So it happened once at uh, at Minute Maid Park. I can't remember who the opponent was, but the guy literally okay. came, stepped on the rubber, came, you know, was coming set, picked the ball up, and dropped it. So it's an automatic balk when you drop the ball right. on when you're on the rubber when you're engaged yeah. with the the rubber. Yeah. So, but he made it obvious, like. This oh, it was like blatantly a, well, like he was. I've he done was it before. Just like where this. I've hit my yeah. I've done it before. Yeah. I've hit my glove in my hand. The ball falls out. You're like ah. Anyway, You're like, damn it. Whatever. Yes. So the next time it happened was we were in Chicago and Lucas Giolito's on the mound. Alex Bregman's on second base. Tight ball game, and uh, well, it was a tight ball game at the time. It ended up being twenty-one to five, but maybe this is karma. So the pitching coach, uh, I think his name's Katz, came out to the mound, and you can kind of see the conversation unfolding with with uh, the the pitching coach and the pitcher, where the pitcher's kind of like looking around, he's looking up, and he's kind of going. Uh, what? what are you asking me to do? So <laughs> instead of balking Alex Bregman to second base, Lucas Giolito with a runner with Alex Bregman at second base pitched out of the windup. So he went yeah. out of the windup, and guess what Alex Bregman did? He stole second base. So I guarantee you, Lucas Giolito's like, look, dude, I'm not gonna balk. I'm not gonna give in and just yeah. balk it. If he wants to steal second base, he'll steal second third, base. So he went base, out of the wind mean. or third base. Yeah. Thank you. He'll yeah. stole his so he stole third base, but it was the one of the most awkward situations. So instead of balking, he actually intentionally let Alex Bregman steal third base to get himself yeah. out of position. But yeah. again, that actually goes to our point saying it's better to be at third base than second base because yeah. Alex could have stood there at second base and been like, you know what? I'm going to make you balk me to, to third base. And he could have just stood there with his arms crossed. But he said, you know what? This guy's giving me 90 feet. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take the 90 feet because well, that's what you're supposed to do on offense. Yeah, I mean, now we have, uh, what do they call the um, indifference? I mean, that's not indifference, yeah. but it's very similar, right? It shouldn't even be. I mean, right. if the guy goes from the windup, you're taught to do that. And I remember when you know guys are on third base, you're debating whether you want to go on the windup or the stretch, mm-hmm. depending on what you think you have more. We saw Verlander do it recently where he got the bases loaded in that tough situation and he wanted to go back to the windup and he struck, uh, struck out a couple of guys to get out of a jam. I mean, mm-hmm. it just depends on what the pitcher's more comfortable in. But to your point, when there's a guy in first base or first and second or second base, you're always pitching out of the stretch because you're trying to keep them uh, at the base that they're located at. And it obviously looks like 
I mean, give it to Tony Larusa. I mean, we <laughs> we don't hit guys unless it's a situation, right? You wait till there's two yeah. outs or the game's in hand or something like that. And it's so interesting what you just pointed out because when Giolito's in the game, the starter, it's in a close game at that point. Obviously, it got out of hand to twenty-one five, yeah. but that could have been the you know kind of the the tipping point, right? Where hey, let's let this guy get to third, and you don't know what happens beyond that, but. I mean, the game got out of hand shortly thereafter. But, man, I wonder if that messed with Giolito's mindset. I know as a pitcher, as a competitor, I would be like, what am I letting him go to third base for? It doesn't make any sense. So it would be You're interesting right. to hear the thought process. But I would – you know how it is. I mean, Oral Hershiser talked about this before. He said, look, every game he thought he was going to throw a no-hitter. And the first two hitters get hits, right? The first guy gets a hit, and then the next guy gets a hit. He goes, all right. <laughs> I'm going to throw a two-hitter. Like, you have to have this mentality of keep getting back up and keep getting back up and keep fighting. And so, as a pitcher, you're out there fighting for everything, and you know that, you know, you're trying to get quality starts, and you know that you're trying to, you know, help your team win. And they come out there and basically say, hey, just concede third base. Either balk them to third or let them go to third. And that could change your mentality, and look what happened with the game. So, we can't make a direct correlation, but I certainly remember that that mentality was everything to me especially when you waited five days to get on the mound definitely you know what correlation i can make is that doing this podcast we need to make a little bit of money so we're going to throw it to a sponsor here brought to you by blue wire podcast network the best way to learn a language immersion living where the language is spoken and using it every day but if that's not in the cards this year you can still learn a language the second best way and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome back. Thanks for uh, listening, folks, and uh, hopefully the sponsors are treating you right. Um, and a, a big thank you to the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blummer. All right, I got something for you. We got to move on from the uh, the balking or the uh, conceding third base topic to uh, something that I've been watching as a pitcher quite a bit and on your broadcast. It's the MD Anderson strike zone, but we've seen a lot of borderline pitches being called strikes and or balls and some lack of consistency from my point of view. Ooh. And um, I think part of it goes to what you mentioned before is everybody's now max effort. Guys are throwing 94, 95, 96, 97. Um, we saw, uh, I, I was watching Doval for the Giants lot this weekend. And oh, he's throwing a 101 mile an hour cutter. He's like pulling the ball across the plate. And I'm like, oh my God. Like he has no idea where that thing's going. It's 101. <laughs> Get me and out then of he's here. shaking his, well, then he's shaking his head at the umpire. So, you know, the the pitcher. <laughs> The catcher sets up on the inside part of the plate, and he has to reach across to get this cutter, and it's a ball. And I guess my point was, and I'd like to hear your thoughts, you were talking about uh, sign stealing legally, and then as a as a hitter trying to have 
an idea, right? Either be half the plate mm-hmm. or a location or a type of pitch that you're looking for in a certain situation because you can't be covering the whole plate all the time with all the pitches. So you're trying to narrow it down. 100%. But, yeah. but as an umpire, I, 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 I wouldn't say I'm sympathetic, but I do see something now that I didn't <laughs> see when I played. I know. But when I played, I would grumble as well. It's like, look, you know, I'm supposed to, it's a one two pitch and I'm supposed to throw the ball in the inner half, like an inner black, get it in there. And I yank the pitch a little bit and it paints the outside corner. So the catcher has to move his glove. Umpire calls it a ball and it's right down the, you know, I'm like, I'm out there like, hey, that's a strike. And it's like, well, like everything you did set me up for this inside pitch. And now, you know, I made everybody yank it, you know, yank the everything out to the outside part of the plate. Yeah, but you shouldn't get penalized for missing a spot. So I, I agree with you. I mean, I like what you're saying. I don't think so as well. But the sympathy doesn't come that you missed your spot or that it was a strike or it wasn't. The umpires are human as well. What I'm saying is if you get into a groove with an umpire and you're painting and you're hitting your spots consistently, they learn to work with you. Their eyesight gets Great point. gets gets kind of mentally and their whole being gets kind of used to this situation. And so when you yank a pitch or you miss a spot and it is a strike, according to MD Anderson or the fans or whomever else, even the catcher, it's very difficult to hold the umpire accountable for that pitch. Um, you know, if you hit that spot again and again and again, and you're not getting it called a strike, then you can have some frustration. But I noticed on a couple of the, the latest broadcasts we watch where you were saying that both both benches were kind of frustrated by the kind of extended corners that yeah. the umpire had. It looked like he was really consistent. And the pitches that I saw that he missed were ones that were kind of not hitting the spot, meaning they were yanked across the plate or they were on the opposite side or they were either up or down. So I wanted to know your thoughts about that. And were, were you just angry every time the umpire missed a pitch? I mean, obviously, you know, it was your livelihood. And, and our <laughs> livelihood at one point, but or or could you now, as a broadcaster, see it a little bit differently? No, I actually had this conversation literally yesterday with Larry Durker, who was a pitcher, also obviously with the Houston Astros, broadcasted, managed, whatever you want to call it. But we we both had the we both had the same same idea because you know I I came up we're in the same generation, so your your strike zone in the minor leagues, you played with a lot of these guys who are umpiring now in the big leagues and have been for the last 15, 20 years. So we both have experience with the same umpire, but in that mid mid nineties to late nineties strike zone was freaking wide, man. I mean it was as wide as this room I'm sitting in right here, but it was consistent and I knew what I had to cover. So it wouldn't necessarily be, you know, maybe that inner inside corner black, but it was definitely like a baseball off the outside corner where I knew I had to cover. So I could eliminate the inside part of the zone, get on the outside and cover that. I knew I, I, pitches around my belt were too high, you know, and it was a weird zone. It was, it was kind of like a mail slot. It was, it was flat. It was wide. But yeah, at the same it was, time, if you took the MD Anderson strike zone now and turned it, Right, that's that was the yeah. strike zone. I would exactly. agree with you. I would agree. With you. It may yeah. not have been that wide, but that was the idea. It was a little wider than taller. Yeah, exactly. That that's very well explained. Just kind of flipping the strike zone on its side, but it was consistent. And I, and Larry Durker said that to his point. He's like he's he said the same thing. He's watching these games these days, and it and it's almost as if these umpires are guessing. They're kind of like, I think that's on the outside corner, but I don't feel strong enough to call it. Yet it's 
a paint job on the black and then they'll see the same pitch an inch and a half off the plate and they're like, just call it a strike and you're going, wait a minute. If you're going to stay and say that's the outside corner, stay on that outside corner. And you'll always see hitters turning, pitchers for the same thing. They'll look in and go, hey, did you have that outside? Is that as far as you're going to go? And hitters say the same thing. They're going, hey, is that the, is that the edge? You know, because that way I can build in my mind, I can build the strike zone around your edges and try and adapt to it and cover those parts. But the consistency is what's long gone. And I'm with you as far as the fact that some of these umpires move with the catcher is a little odd to me. I don't know if that's what they're being taught because more often than not, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because you were staring at umpires the entire you know part of your career, is normally they set up on that inside corner where their, their chest is like over the middle the inside edge is in the chest of their uh, middle of their chest. And if it hits that spot, easy call strike. But if it's off the outside edge, you kind of, you kind of guess a little bit saying, okay, that should be the outside corner and they get that call. But now they're starting to move with catchers. So that zone is moving. And I don't, I, I see that sometimes and it frustrates me because I'm going, if you're moving off the inside edge, that means the strike zone is moving off the inside edge and where are you going and how do you judge that consistently you know, and that's the problem. Have you seen in AAA where they're actually letting players review pitches? Uh, I've I've seen and heard about it, but I did not know that that was something that they were implementing. It, I guess it's I've in it's in the it. test phase, but there's actually yeah. a couple of games where they've said, okay, this game the the hitter, not necessarily anybody in the dugout, but the hitter can go man, that was a ball, and he called it a strike. I want to challenge that. And they'll actually look, in about five, six seconds, they're like, yep, hitter was right. That was a ball. They change the count. They go right back to hitting. Is that not insane? Brutal. That's insane. Brutal. I mean, we've talked about tennis. I love tennis. Like, you see tennis, if you've ever watched it, they have a yeah, cool the Hawkeye. thing. And each guy, yeah. But then you, the Hawkeye tells you whether it was in or out legitimately. And they, mm -hmm. it's part of the, 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 you know, the set. It's right there real time. I just have a hard time with it in baseball. I still think the human element is important. We've talked about it before. I mean, could you imagine throwing a 3-2 pitch to win the World Series? The umpire calls a strike, and the guy challenges it. And now you're sitting there, wait wow. a second. I mean, I just wow. I just think that would ruin too much. It's kind of Pandora's box, isn't it? Because like you exactly. said, during the regular season, you're going, okay, I can fight through this yeah, at bat. But if that's a game-changing World Series play, yeah. Ooh, that's a yeah. lot and on the line right there. It's a lot on the line, especially when they didn't challenge one in the seventh inning or the eighth inning when this guy had a consistent zone or an inconsistent zone, right? It was consistent based on that umpire. I used to say yeah. this now that I got out of baseball and played, you know, organized basketball down at the YMCA. The referee's getting paid 20 bucks and he's not, he doesn't have it out for you or me. He's just refing the game. Like, I mean, you know, he'll mm -hmm. call a foul here, but he's not like, there's not like 10 fouls for one team and zero for the next. Like, he doesn't <laughs> have it out for you. So, you know, maybe there's some personal animosity. There are those things that come into it. But I like what you're saying. And I think I started the question or the premise with, I think the velocity has changed that as well. So, yes, they're yes. setting up on the inside part of the plate with, like you said, the black kind of in the middle of their chest. So, they're on the inside. They know this is a strike. They know anything here is a strike. But they're guessing at half the plate because it's way over there. They're kind of giving the old, oh, yeah, I think that was as far out as I want to go. But now you add, like I said, Duvall's throwing this 101, 102-mile-an-hour ball that cuts across the plate. And when that thing drifts across the plate, that guess becomes a little less, uh, I don't yeah, know, specific window, and a yeah. lot more guess, right? Now, now you're really expanding the zone because you're, 
it's a complete it's complete guesswork. So I think to your point, the velocity has a lot to do with it. The guys moving with the catcher have a lot to do with it. But what I see is most of them are consistent. Most of the umpires are consistent. The outside mm-hmm. is still a guess, but they're, you know, maybe they're 50-50 on that pitch. But as a hitter, you can know that. He's going to be really yeah. good here in the middle. He's going to be really good on the in. The outside, I've got to be a little more leery of. I got to be protected of, uh, more protective of. But I I I think the velocity and the umpiring style has definitely changed the way it's umpired to yours and Larry Dierker's point. But I will say that, you know, it's something as now being a former player versus playing. I like it, but I, I I do think that it's difficult for the umpires to, um, it's difficult for them when you're moving their eyes all over the place. So part of that is on them, but part of that is on the the hit, uh, pitcher and the catcher. Well, let me ask you this: Do you know that being said, and I think this happens sometimes. Do you think that the rate of speed of pitches and the extreme movement of pitches will ever get to the point where the human eye can't judge ball or strike? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I we've talked about my little fitness regimen, you know, CrossFit, mm-hmm. and they. I think the uh, the peak performance they looked at when, uh, you know, 20 years ago when the guy invented CrossFit was five, uh, five minute mile running mm-hmm. less than a five minute mile, but being able to back squat 500 pounds, like 30 minutes later. And some guy did it this year. I mean, ran a four fifty seven mile and then he back squatted 500 pounds. I mean, that's pretty impressive, and nobody had been able to do it, at least documented, before that. And so I think you can continue to add velocity. You can continue to add, you know, I. it's hard for me to say that that will never be the case, but you got to think, I don't know, can guys start throwing 110 and 115 and 120? I, I don't know. I, I, I just have no idea. I kind of feel like they've tapped that part of it out, but, yeah. you know, who knows? Who knows? I mean, it was always hard to call knuckleballs. Right, that was the biggest <laughs> challenge for umpires was a knuckleball to this point. Yep. So I, you know, I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think there there will be a time? I, I don't I don't think there will be a time. I think there is yeah. there's a limit to what pitchers can be able to go out there and do. And if it does get to the point where the, somebody's figured out how to throw 105, maybe they move the mound back a little bit to be able to give them an extra tick to be able to catch it and yeah. pick it up. You know, you got to think about catchers too. I mean, those guys are trying to catch it, knock it down, block it, keep guys from running. But I think with the the amount of velocity and to your point, you know, and how about this for analytics? They actually have been able to kind of calculate uh, peak, speaking of peak performance, is guys usually perform their best between the age of 27 to 32 as far as, you know, the physical nature of of baseball. There's got to be a way for the analytics to judge an umpire strike zone and sounds terrible. I'm going to be an ageist right here and judge when they see the ball best because I just I'm 49 years old. I use readers every single time I have to read something. At some point, the umpire is going to age himself out from behind umpiring behind home plate because the fact that the ball is moving so rapidly that they can't ke- catch up with it or keep up with it and they're basically guessing their entire strike zone. So I wonder if there's going to be you know if there's going to be an age limit for home plate umpires because everything is moving so fast behind home plate. Do you think that's out of the question? No, I think that's the best point you made about this topic. I mean, I and that's something that I hadn't thought of. And that, that 
in itself is, I, I think, where we need to go. We talk about the uh, MLBPA, the Major League Baseball Players Association, and how fantastic it is. One of the strongest unions in the world is the umpires union. I mean, these guys, oh, Joe man. West like finally Supreme retired this last year. Yeah, I mean, it is. it is. It's like a lifetime assignment until they want to tap out. Joe West yep. is a good example. Um, you mentioned guys. I mean, I'm way past my prime guys that came up. Alfonso Marquez, Chris Guccione. These guys were guys that I knew really well that were umpiring that kind of made it. And they've yeah. been around forever. Angel you know, Hernandez. who Angel Hernandez, Jim yeah. Reynolds, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these are guys that have been around since, like you said, since I was playing. And I don't see them going anywhere. I mean, it, it's... It it's like Supreme Court justices. It sounds like you've said that on a broadcast before, but uh, but I think that's a really good point. Is that you know you can see the bang bang play at first base, or you can watch guys run and you know where to be. But that home plate, if there is a peak performance, that might be the way to kind of um, differentiate yourself from the umpires. And I think that's how the young guys can come up and they can work on. Uh, you know, as you said, with the guys that are handling the velocity, and as their eyesight starts to go, then you know, start to phase them out, for lack of a better word. But I, I do, I'm with you on that. I think there's got to be a time for peak performance. I started u- using readers when I turned 45, and uh, I ain't ever, I ain't ever going back without, you know, to not use them. I guess you and me both. Yeah. No. So. Yeah. All right. Hey, let's so what jump else you to. Got? Yeah. So I got. I, I I just wanted to quickly touch on. I'm on here on the left coast. I wanted to quickly touch on uh, the Padres since the trade. Um, Josh Hader in his last inning and a third, which is three outings, has given up six runs. So they gave him a break from the uh, closing role. Juan Soto's actually doing Juan Soto things. I think he's hitting 285 uh, with two home runs, which is fine. Um, and then Chris Drury was hitting, I think, 287 with Cincinnati. His slugging percentage was, I, have, I wrote it down. Hold on. Look at you getting all the numbers, man. Put hey, on them well, readers. You do this every time. So, yeah, put on the readers, folks. There you go. <laughs> you want to see this on short hops. Tuttle's got to put on the readers. Yeah, so Drury was uh, slugging 855. I don't want you to be alone. <laughs> there you go. Drury was slugging 855 with the Reds. Now with the Padres, remember, smaller sample size since the deadline. He's slugging 658 and hitting 212 with three homers. Oof. So you basically made this huge blockbuster trade. You're all in on everything. The Dodgers are certainly, you know, Dodgers and Astros are running away with their leagues respectively, but they wanted to stay in the playoff hunt. And you have Hader, who's not closing anymore, giving up six runs in an inning and a third. Soto, 286 with two homers is fine, but Drury hitting 212. And then you add the Tatis thing in there. So I think the advantage is, and maybe you and I talked about this, is you're going to have Soto under um, club control for the next two mm-hmm. years. So that's positive um, if they want to keep him around. But obviously the Tatis thing didn't help them. And um, I think it's kind of, I mean, backfired is the wrong word, but I don't think this is where the Padres wanted to go after making this huge trade. But do you think it's they can still regroup and plan on next year because of the guys they have under contract in terms of Machado and they'll have Hader still, Soto, and then Tatis will be back you know, the first 30 or 40 games into the season, something like that? Or, I mean, are they still a threat this year, I guess is the question. I, I think they're still a threat because those guys are, I think they're just too, those players that you're talking about are just too good of players not to perform. I think it's just a matter of then getting comfortable. Um, it, there might be a little bit of shock value in the fact that you did get end up getting traded. You know, Soto 
maybe anticipated or wanted to get traded. He's 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 an excellent ball player. He's adapting and adjusting to a new ballpark where you're, you know, Petco Park, even with the fences moved in, is still a massive place to try and hit the baseball out of. Drury, you know, coming from a team that had no expectations, no media coverage, no nothing. And now he's thrust into the spotlight. Maybe that's having an impact on him because now the expectation when you get traded is, I've got to produce. They wanted me here to help them get better. And now I'm putting so much pressure on myself, I can't perform. And Josh Hader, the same way, he was in a comfortable role out there in Milwaukee. Yes, the expectation was to win, but it was like, hey, man, we're the Brewers. Let's go out and have some fun. And if we win ball games, super. Now you're in San Diego <laughs> where you've got 40,000 people selling out the ballpark. And the expectation is you need to go out there and pitch well every single night and don't discount the fact that the National League Central is tough with the St. Louis Cardinals not much else after that so now you're pitching in a National League West where you got to face the Giants you got to go to Colorado you got to face the Dodgers consistently you're going to face these guys a ton of times and then you add the expectation and all of a sudden you start to falter a little bit and it snowballs on you Uh, so you've got to you've got to be able to adapt you've got to be able to adjust but how about this for an idea when you talk about chemistry in the clubhouse, how that's something you can't anticipate, do you th- do you think there's anything to that with the San Diego Padres bringing in these megastars and bringing on this expectation that kind of threw that clubhouse off kilter a little bit? You know, because Soto's going to take attention away from Manny Machado, who's having an MVP type year. You bring in uh, Josh Bell and get rid of Eric Hosmer. Hosmer was, to me, a better defender. Does that change the dynamic on the infield? I mean, there's a lot of things at play, but do you think there's any validity to maybe the chemistry and moving ball clubs that has created a situation where these guys aren't performing as well? Yeah, so that's the thing that I always harp on, especially on this podcast. Mm-hmm. You and I have talked about it before. How does that upset the balance or how does that make the balance uh, work for you? I mean, think about the Yankees. We talked about them with the best record in baseball before the All-Star break, and they've been scuffling. I mean, did their chemistry all of a sudden change in the clubhouse? Yeah. No, probably not. But the scuffling certainly changes the dynamics in the clubhouse. And then it's like, hey, who do we blame or what's happening? And I mean, why do we get this you know, guy? Win- <laughs> That's right. Winning <laughs> cures a lot. Um, oh, yeah. I think the I think the Padres' biggest challenge, and that's a great question. I mean, obviously something has changed, right? During the big trade where you get mm-hmm. Bell and you lose Hosmer. Hosmer's notorious for being the clubhouse leader. Um, pitching and defense, we still say wins championships. And so, you know, Snell needs to pitch well and they're getting some guys back healthy. But, you know, that's part of it. Um, too. So it's not just the hitters, it's the pitching. So, you know, they can probably, um, you said they're still in it. Obviously the talent level they have, they're going to be in it this year and hopefully next year. I do think the Tatis thing, um, and the notoriety and the noise that it brought, and we touched on that last podcast is certainly a good way of putting it something that's not going away, at least right now. So each day they're like, all right, we're without him. It's fine. He wasn't here when we came over because he'd been hurt, you know, with the broken mm-hmm. wrist. But I think that that certainly upset the balance if there was a balance. And maybe to your point, they just haven't found their footing yet. But, you know, winning cures a lot. It's hard to say without being in the clubhouse what the chemistry is like. But I do know the noise around Tatis certainly wasn't um, – pleasant in terms of getting everything going in the right direction. And so maybe it's as simple as that. But uh, I like what you said. You know, when you come up with an organization, as you know, Josh Hader's only been a brewer. 
um, you know, in the big leagues at least. And the central mm-hmm. is a lot different of a division and a competitive it's, you know, the twins, the brewers and the Cardinals every year. I'm sorry. The twins <laughs> is the American league, but in terms of Those the central way divisions are terrible. Yeah. The central divisions, it's kind of always the same to like Milwaukee's going to win the central and then get smoked yeah. in the playoffs. It's to kind your, of to the, the point. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and we talk about the New York media or the coastal, like the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox. I mean, Milwaukee is a very comfortable place to be yourself and maybe coming out with some expectations, um, you know, takes some time to adjust. And I think that's fair. Um, did you have something else? I had, I had one other thing I was going to yeah. touch on, but I think no, you had a go for it if you got it. Well. I just, just so, real no, quick. no, no, I want to throw it to you. It might be the no, same thing. Real, Who knows? No, no, just real quick, just the San Diego Padres for those wondering if they're oh, listening yeah. to this podcast. They're a game and a half up on the Milwaukee Brewers for the third spot. <laughs> in that wild card. So they are, I, I know I just said, I think they're in it. I think they have yeah. enough to stay in it. But at the same time, dude, uh, game and a half, that, that's that's a pretty sketchy lead for them to have in that third place of the wild card. And that's kind of what I meant. Like, you know, it'd be funny mm-hmm. if the Brewers had Hater, they'd be more comfortable a game and a half back for that spot. And now the Padres are like, hey, we're a game and a half up and we got Hater. So Hater's actually pitching against himself, even though he doesn't know it. So maybe Still that's pitching where the for the Brewers. Coming. <laughs> that's so funny. messed up yeah no what do you right. what do you got no i want to yeah you go first my friend you go first okay so i'm i moved to texas permanently in 2017 obviously i played for the houston uh, astros for five years i lived in texas maybe a total of what five years before i moved out here permanently in 2017 but i don't know if i just didn't notice before or wasn't paying attention but um uh, I, I drive a, a larger truck and I've kind of fallen into this tendency. And I think it's because of what I see around me. I now, for the most part, consistently when I go out and drive my truck and I go to uh, Costco or if I'm going to the supermarket or if I'm you know going to a movie, I back into my parking spot. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I know it's easier because the truck's bigger and it's easier to kind of maneuver in and it makes it easier getting out. So I don't know why, why it is, but I've started to notice consistently that at least 70% of the parking lot is backed in. Now, why is that? Because I, in my truck, it makes sense to me because I don't put my groceries or my Costco load into the, tr- into the bed of my truck. I don't have a uh, tornado cover or anything on the back of my truck. It's wide open. So I have a tendency to put up the seats in the back of uh, the cab, put all my groceries and put all my Costco stuff in there and then take off. So it, backing in doesn't really do anything. But if I had to put something in, my, in the back bed of my truck, it'd be a pain in the ass. But I'm watching all these these smaller cars back up with their trunks backed in. I'm like, how are these people doing this? What what are we doing and why is that? Do you have any philosophy behind this? Because I can't figure it out other than the fact I love it when I get in my truck after I do whatever I'm doing. And I'm like, pew, I'm gone. Hey, my brother and I used to play uh, Firehouse when we were a kid. And we would always Ooh. back that thing in, man. You always have your fire back truck backed in yeah. so that you can, <laughs> that's right, so you can get out of there. Um, it's funny you say that. So you know this because I've driven you around, but uh, my job gives me a company car. And I have to take these modules so that I get uh-huh. free gas, free insurance, all the stuff. And the modules talk about where to park in a in a, in a a parking lot and how to park and what, what are you the good You've gotten instructions? I, 
It's the only way to keep your uh, keep your company car. Yeah, I mean, these are just really? modules they produce. You have to do this too for like, right? For um, this is fascinating. For, all right, for most jobs, you have to do. Um, what do they call? I mean, like, there's always training, right? There's HR stuff, like what you can mm-hmm. say and yeah. what you can't say. What you, I'm sure you have to do that for, uh, yeah, for not just the Astros, Astros, but for AT and T. That's right. They send you these modules, you take yeah. them and you pass them. Well, for my job, they also have driving modules, and wow. I just took one two weeks ago, and they said, "All right, what's the best parking spot here in this lot?" It looked like a Home Depot lot, and it was like one that was away from the main entrance, and you're supposed to back into your spot. They say it's safer really? to back into your spot. Yeah. Yeah. Don't take the one by the door where all the carts are and all the stuff. And then do you pull in forward or back? They say backing in is a much safer way because. So it's a safety thing. Well, I mean, I'm not saying 70% of the people in Texas do it because it's a safety thing. I don't know if everybody True. knows that, but I, I do think to your point, you said it's a convenience thing for you. You like, it may be harder to back in initially, but coming out to your car and hopping in and leaving is way easier. So I think as you're leaving, it is a, you know, it may be a safety thing. But anyway, my point is I've taken these driving tests before and uh, they always say to back into your spot. This is great. This is why we're friends. I get to know stuff. And look, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, drivers backing out of their parking spaces and driveways and parking lots kills an estimate. Well, we don't have to get into that. Many drivers find that backing into a parking space affords them more visibility when exiting. There you go. So if you pull in (laughs) nose first, you're a murderer. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, apparently. That's how I read the stats. Anyway, our our wonderful producer, Mark, has just put up some national uh, traffic safety. Dude, I expected Uh, accidents or like fender benders. I didn't expect death. Yeah, me neither. Well, backing out of your driveway, so that's different. But in a parking lot, I think it's probably more for convenience and visibility than it is for anything else. But that's certainly the recommendation. I'm doing the public do a service by backing into my parking yeah, spot. You're welcome. So th- that was the punchline to this, is that you've been driving more <laughs> safely than most people without having any sort of knowledge as to why. So and I th- I'm go, doing Palmer. it selfishly. But it, yeah. in actuality, I'm doing it for the greater good of human people. Yes, of human. Thank you, Mark Ramos, for pulling that up. Wow, how did he dig that out? That's unbelievable. Yeah, that's good stuff. But it's funny you said seventy percent education here in the bleachers. Education. Yeah, education right here on the Bleacher Blums podcast. We're making up words again. Yeah. Hey, so the last thing I have is I think I'm going to see you in person next Thursday. So today's Tuesday. So we got nine days in person. Fantasy football. I have watched zero preseason football. As that's typical, when do I ever watch preseason football? That makes two football? of us. Yeah, that's right. But next Thursday, the fantasy football draft, it live and in person with my myself and Blummer. And uh, this is the year I got to have to uh, finish ahead of Blum. I'm 0 for 2 so far. So I got to... I got a I got a lot of research to do in the next nine days, but I'm actually excited for the football season. So you folks are going to hear a lot more about football oh, on this yeah. podcast, especially now that you have an Astros uh, heavy podcast. So yeah, no, I've got the particular the other podcast is strictly Astros, so you're going to get your fill on the Astros on that. And the bleachers have now become a little more well rounded. It's going to be. <laughs> We are obviously covering human interest and human safety on this podcast now, but at the same time, we can we can kind of venture off into some some sporadic spots in uh, the world of sports and life. But you know, it's great that that you brought that up because fantasy football is obviously something we love. We like to go out and do, and uh, we we talk a little bit of trash on it. But it was kind of fascinating. My one of my daughters, two of my daughters, Ava and Audrey, are actually taking a sports marketing class Ooh. in uh, in high school amazingly enough. 
and they are going to have a fantasy draft, but they're doing it with salary caps. So I've actually been able to kind of maybe get a jump start on my draft by uh -oh. helping them with their draft. You've been cheating. I, I've been cheating. I've been trying to get ahead of the situation, but it's but it's great now because now you know we get to go in and one of the uh, you'll love this one of the uh, I read the sheet that explained the rules for their draft. They have an eighty five million dollar cap, and what they have to do is go on to SpaTrack.com. You know as well as I do, that's a great contract website that we've used yeah. on this website before. They've got a phenomenal podcast that I use a lot. But they actually use that that uh, that website to go get some of the salaries and things like that. So, yeah, kind of cool, kind of fascinating. But uh, that's the joy of having kids too is that you never know what they're going to bring home for homework. And I can actually help with this homework. <laughs> I can't believe they have like an eighty-seven million dollar payroll. Or that's what I thought was pretty hefty. Cap. That's pretty. And they based sweet. it on base salary. If you're going off base salary, you can have a pretty damn good team. Yeah, you're going to have to like. Burn the midnight oil. To, you're going to have to be up late tonight trying to help them. You don't. You don't want them to falter. This is yeah, going to be, be like that help. dude from a beautiful mind with all the numbers. That's right. And, you're going to yeah. well, and then you're going to kill our draft that way. But you're going to uh, you're going to do that tonight or tomorrow and help them do all the research. And what's yep. going to happen is you're going to uh, you're going to get interviewed for a managerial job or a GM job, an assistant GM <laughs> job, and you're say, you know. <laughs> I've done spot track before. I know the contracts. I've been around baseball a long time. But really, I think the bread and butter is I help my daughters develop a you know championship winning football team. That'll be in, in my interview marketing class in high school. That's what I'm saying. You're going to say that in the interview. And I took eighty seven million dollars and I made a winning team. And I could do the same for your team, sir. Thank you. Mic drop. I'm out. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of mic drop, I think it's time to drop the mic on this podcast. And uh, I already mentioned you can get at Blummer at Blummer27 on both Instagram and Twitter. Myself at Real David Tuttle on Instagram and Twitter. I'm getting better at Twitter. Um, I realized there was a tweet this week saying that Blummer bro broke the hearts of many Astros fans, but they forgive oh. him. And I was like, ah didn't bother me at all like you know i didn't even know you back then so <laughs> i just remember the excitement that was that it was that's it so Dude, you crack me up anyway want to thank everybody for listening uh as always give a shout out to our military first responders healthcare workers and as i mentioned last podcast our teachers who are now uh back in the classroom hopefully making our Game children smarter and brighter and uh at least babysitting them for most of the afternoon <laughs> so that we can do our podcast so thank you to everybody that allows us to uh, have the freedom to do this podcast. If you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. And get after it and believe it. There you go. Believe it. Oh, oh. Can, you, can we bark or get off the pot? What are we doing? Bark or get off the pot. There you go, Ramos. There's the title. <laughs> <laughs> There's Barker, no get off the pot.